morning. We have a, uh, a very special chapel this morning. We uh, again get to welcome Nicole Braddock Bromley to chapel. Uh, she was here, I think, four years ago, if I'm not mistaken, my first year here. Um, Nicole is the founder and director of One Voice, an organization that uh, raises awareness of sexual abuse, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Uh, God has used her literally all over the world. In 2010, she was the first person in history to hold a public forum on sexual abuse and trafficking in East Africa. In 2012, she went undercover into the brothels of Cambodia with a film crew to expose child sex trafficking. And in 2014, she founded a nonprofit called One Voice for Freedom that stops child slavery around the world. For 16 years, Nicole has traveled extensively as a voice of awareness and prevention to some of the most at-risk populations around the world as well as to some of, the most, mo some of the world's most prestigious colleges and universities. Uh, she's going to be with us this morning in chapel. There will be a luncheon at noon, uh, a brown bag lunch uh, in Carter 111, where you can come and discuss and ask questions about topics such as sexual abuse, trafficking, and healing. Um, when you swipe in, if you'd like to go to that lunch, uh, swipe in and ask for a tray in the Great Hall, and then you can walk down. You can drop in anytime. Uh, uh, to be there uh, with Nicole. Uh, and then there will be an event this evening at 7 o'clock p.m., a girls' night in, in Hannah Bloomquist's apartment in Andreas. Again, another time for the women of Covenant to come together to talk about sexual assault and about related issues and how to support one another. Um, it's a great privilege to have her. Please give a warm Scots welcome to Nicole Braddock Bromley. so much. Well, um, I'm not sure where you all are from, whether you come from a big city, whether you come from a small town. Um, if you're anything like me, you come from a really, 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 really small town. I come from Ohio, and um, the place I'm from, we had one street light, we had one store, and we had more cows than we had people. Um, I don't know your family's background, whether you're, you know, an only child or a big family, a single parent home. Maybe you never knew your parents at all. Maybe you never wanted to know your parents. Um, you know, I don't know your dreams, your fears, your background. We may be the two most different people in the world. But the issues that I'm here to present today, um, they span all borders and relationships and identities and speak in the universal language of human emotion. So as I share some stories with you today, and my best friend will be with me later at the Q&A sharing some more stories, um, I think you'll discover that we aren't so different after all. I want to begin by having you imagine with me a 12-year-old girl with long brown hair, hazel eyes, and a big heart encircling the name Zach Morris on her left hand. Oh, no one's seen Saved by the Bell here? Okay. <laughs> My bad. Okay, so anyways, I grew up, you know, um, really involved in school, um, you know, captain of three sports, homecoming queen. Everyone thought that I had the perfect life, perfect family, perfect neighborhood. I was not afraid of strangers, um, but I was afraid to com come home each and every day. Um, I often had horrible nightmares, and I often woke up crying. So why the nightmares? You know, why the crying? I, I cried because I was miserable, and I was miserable because I had a secret. So I was the girl who came to school every single day with the biggest smile on her face, but I was the same girl who was afraid inside. I had a secret. And I wasn't sure why I had to keep it. Well, I do know that I will never forget the summer of 1994. I was 14 years old, looking forward to my freshman year of high school. And I already told you that we lived in the country. We had lots of cows. Well, everyone in our community owned, 
you know, livestock, and they had lots of land, and their cows ate their grass. We didn't have cows, but we had lots of grass. So you're going to think I'm a huge hillbilly right now, which is fine. I walked half of you, I watched half of you walk in here. Um, so I, when I was seriously like nine or ten years old or something, my stepdad bought this huge tractor with like an, a big mower blade that would attach to the back of it. And he taught me how to drive this big honking tractor, right, when I was just like little, like nine or ten. And it was my job on the weekends to go and mow all of these fields that we owned. And so I remember it was really nice, and I was going to get a tan while I mowed. So I put on my bathing suit, and I was out there, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, a few minutes. And I saw my stepdad coming toward me with a glass of lemonade. So I stopped my tractor, and I waited for him to reach me. Now the next thing that I'm going to tell you, um, for me, was totally off the wall. And he wasn't looking me in the eyes. Um, he was looking me over. Now, a woman knows, and a girl knows, when she's being objectified, right? And that's how I felt, you know, as a little girl, by my stepdad. So I gave him the glass back right away, and then he made this comment that was um, totally disgusting, and it, it made me angry, and I, I took off, and I continued driving, and about an hour later, he came back out and offered me another drink. I waved him back to the house this time and said I didn't want anything, and then I looked up, and I saw him standing on our front deck staring at me with binoculars. And I got so upset, and I was crying, and I tried to drive where there were trees so that he couldn't see me, but he, he didn't put them down. He followed me with them with wherever I was driving. It was like he, he was just watching me. And I remember I wanted to end my life right then and there. I didn't want to deal with this harassment anymore. It wasn't the first time something like this had happened. And so I decided to put the tractor into the highest gear, and I was going to drive head on into this huge tree at the end of our field. It was like at the edge of this like drop off and I was certain this was how I was gonna end my life. As I got closer and closer to that tree, just fantasizing about never seeing my stepdad again. I wanted to end my life. I wanted to end his torment. And then all of a sudden, the last second I thought of my mom, how much it would hurt her. And I swerved and obviously my life did not end that day, but neither did uh, the torment. It was supposed to be one of the happiest summers of my life. We were going on this dream vacation, right? And I remember getting on the airplane just thinking and dreaming about all the great memories we were going to come back with as a family, my mom, my stepdad, my stepsister, who's the same age as me, and myself. And, you know, only to come back with some of the worst memories of my life. I remember um, just being in the water and, and swimming with him and coming back to the beach where my mom was laying and she kept asking me what was wrong and I would tell her things like, I'll just tell you later, but I never really could. I didn't really have words for what I was going through. So we got home from that trip and I remember all the comments that he was making and all of the touching and all of the the nasty the things that made me feel so ashamed but I was so scared to talk about and I didn't know what would happen if I did. We were in the car, my mom and I. We were going to pick up my stepsister and bring her home with us for the weekend. And our conversation started off as it normally did, you know, about each other's day. And then all of a sudden my mom um, started talking to me about how she was excited. She wanted to go back to college and she wanted to be a math teacher. And she had shared this with my stepdad and he became really angry with her. And it had actually been violent with her. And this was the first time something like this had ever happened. And she turned to me in the car that day and she said, Nicole, has he done anything strange around you lately? Now this was one week after returning home from the worst family vacation of my life. And I was unsure as to whether or not it was really wrong. You know, I thought it was even my fault. 
But I knew that if I were ever going to tell my mom about the things that had been going on, that this was the time. I remember the traffic light turned green. We were sitting at a stoplight. I turned to her. And I watched her hit the accelerator. My stomach was tied up in knots. I was sweating. And then all of a sudden, I just told her. She slammed on the brakes, and she pulled the car over to the side of the road. And that was the first time in my life I knew it was wrong. She asked me if he had ever touched me. You know, it just brought back all these memories of our summer vacation just a couple years earlier. Another scene on the beach, another scene on the water, just like the summer of 94, another family vacation I wanted to forget. You know, being touched under my bathing suit, I remember his words, do you want to go up to the hotel room? I said, no, I want to swim. He said, come on, we'll keep it our little secret. I said, no, I want to go lay in the sand. He said, we don't have to tell anyone, just come on. I pulled away from him that time. He punished me by not speaking to me for the rest of the day. The same vacation, the same night, he, uh, he told me he needed to get some things out of our van and he needed my help. I went with him, you know. This stuff didn't happen all the time. So he said, hop in the back seat and look for the cooler. Well, he hopped in the back seat too. He said, sit up straight, don't move around. And that happened again with the touching. And then, you know, I was so scared. He would tell me that I was special. He told me that if I loved him, I would let him. Well, did he ever touch me? My mom in the car um, was really quiet as she was hearing these things I was sharing with her. And I may not have known the answer to her question when she first asked it, but as I saw her reaction to everything I was sharing with her, it became so obvious. You know, as a kid, I had no idea what childhood sexual abuse was. No one ever talked about stuff like this when I was growing up. You know, but at that moment, and even today, to be able to say that I know that I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse is a big deal to me, to be able to label what happened to me. And I think with the Me Too movement going on right now, a lot of people are finally being able to label and identify what happened to them, never having really words for it. So many times we picture this kind of stuff happening in other types of homes, other types of families, other types of communities, you know? But the fact is it happens everywhere. It cuts across all boundaries, male, female, Christian, non-Christian, black, white, rich, poor. One in every three girls and one in every six boys are sexually abused by the time they turn 18. Well, did he ever touch me? My mom was holding back tears. We were already pulling in the driveway to pick up my stepsister, and she was outside waiting for us. So my mom quickly said she didn't know what we were going to do, but she would figure it out. That was Friday night. When my stepsister went back home to her mom that next Monday morning, uh, my mom and I left our home. I remember praying with my mom and just believing together that however things turned out, it was going to be the best for everyone involved. She reported the abuse to Children's Services. They interviewed us. They interviewed him. He denied everything. And um, we were to go to court the first day of my freshman year of high school. <laughs> the days that followed were the most frightening days of my life. I felt like... Um, if he found us, he was, he was going to take our lives. And so we were hiding in different friends and family houses um, until our court date. And so I remember actually the Thursday of that week, um, I was like tired of being cooped up in all these attics and basements of our friends and family. So we were staying at my grandma's house. And I said, let's go for a quick walk around the block. It's so nice outside. So my mom and my grandma, um, we were walking down the street on the sidewalk. And then I looked up and I saw my stepdad's big blue van driving towards us on the street so I yelled at them to run which rest in peace grandma but seriously like her running style is not what you would want in some type of a getaway I mean this is 
this was not the situation you want to be in. And so we were running down the sidewalk to a library, thank goodness. Um, like, if I knew God's presence, it was that day. My grandma running like a dead chicken. I don't even know how she kept up with us. But we got it to the library just around the corner, and we went inside. And somehow he did not see us that day. Um, and then the following Tuesday, we went to stay with some friends. And I went to a store with the father and the, and the other kids that lived there. And as we came back to where my mom was staying in this house, I saw a police car leaving the driveway. I knew something was wrong as soon as I walked in the door. Um, my mom was sitting at the dining room table. She was super quiet and wouldn't even look up at me. I said, what's wrong, Mom? Why were the police here? She said, Nicole, he shot himself. I said, he's dead? She said, yeah. And I remember just running around that house screaming, you know, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. I was so furious and hurt that, you know, after a decade of being molested in my own home and not having my own voice. I finally found the courage to break my silence and I would not see justice here on earth. You know, that was really hard for me as a 14-year-old girl and I was so upset about it. But I also knew I would no longer face sexual abuse from my stepdad. You know, so there was this weird balance there. You know, but I felt alone. I felt dirty, damaged, ashamed. I was afraid of what people would think about me if they knew that I had gone through sexual abuse. And so it was then, at 14 years old, exactly one week after I broke my silence and told my mom, I vowed I was never going to tell anybody again. You know, I just wanted to bury it, pretend like it wasn't there, and just go on with my life and do good things in my life, you know? I went back to school. I was a high school freshman. My mom became a college freshman. But it was hard, you know, the flashbacks, the nightmares would still surface. And to this day, I still can't remember when or how it all really started. But I do remember when I was in fifth grade, there was a woman uh, from the sheriff's department that came to our school and showed us a video about childhood sexual abuse. And I remember being on the library floor with all of my little fifth grade friends watching this, like, cartoon. Oh, and my boyfriend, Chucky. Okay, he was, like, so little. I don't know why. He was so cute. And I, we were just, like, the oddest-looking couple in fifth grade. But he was with me. <laughs> and... Um, I couldn't bring myself to believe that something as terrible as they made that cartoon sound about sexual abuse, that that was happening in a family and a home like mine, you know? Everyone thought my stepdad was amazing. He was so respected in our town. And I was afraid to even speak up. And so I'll share a little bit more about that during the Q&A um, at lunch. But I've realized over time, so many times, um, victims stay silent for so many years because of that fear of speaking out. And oftentimes, people place the blame on the victim um, for, not, for not speaking out. And they don't realize that an abuser seeks control. And they know exactly how to silence their victims. My stepdad said he wanted us to be really close. He always said this was our little secret. He told me it was his responsibility to teach me these things that all girls go through this, no one talks about it. He said it was normal. And I loved and trusted him like everybody else did. <laughs> I had no reason not to. He said he would kill my dog if I ever told. He said my mom would get jealous. She would never see me again. I'd have to live with another family. He said no one would ever believe me because I was just a little girl. He was a popular man in our town. You know, I felt so tormented as a kid, wanting to tell not knowing what would happen if I did, not knowing who to believe, who to tell, what would happen if they did believe me. 
I was confused. I was afraid. I was silenced. My pain put me into, into hiding. It seemed like there was no way out for me. But I'm here today because I know there is a way out. You know, after an entire childhood like that, you know, I can stand here today. I'm 37 years old. I'm a wife. I'm a mom of three stinky little boys. And one of them's here today. Hopefully you'll get to see him. He's the stinkiest, by the way. So you might not want to see him, but he's crazy. Um, but I can tell you that I have found freedom and healing, you know, by the grace of God. And I also can tell you that healing is a lifelong journey. But telling my secret, sharing my story in a healthy community like this was the first step of healing for me. And I believe that when we all can talk about issues like sexual violence in a healthy community like this, an authentic Christian community, that we not only honor the victims that are here by giving them a voice, but we also give them space to struggle and all of us can find hope for healing. You know, we all have our own brokenness. Growing up, I kept asking that question, you know, where were you, God, and all of that typical thing. And because I, I had so many dreams for my life, but I was broken. You know, I not only needed rescue, but I needed to know that my story mattered and that I wasn't alone. I had a lot of angry fights with God, you know, accusing him of things and then running away and not wanting to really hear his response. <laughs> but over time, you know, I began to, to realize, like, I needed to let him have that response. Like, a good father wants to hear your anger, right? So a year after my stepdad's suicide, it was the next summer. I was 15 years old. I was invited to this church camp. And at the time, no one in my school, no one in my youth group, not even my best friend knew my secret. I'd kept that secret for a full year, and I don't know what camps are like these days, but for me, they had the, the last day they had open mic time, where anyone could come up and tell a story or something cool that God did that week. One girl came up, talked about the boyfriend she found. I don't even get it. Girls are so weird sometimes. <laughs> so weird sometimes. But anyways, I didn't find a boyfriend at camp. I was still mourning, you know, Chucky. <laughs> he moved on. Um, but anyway, so I got up. And I told my story for the first time in front of like 300 kids. And it was super awkward. But the reason I tell you this is because back when I went to camp, it was um, a long time ago. And we wrote with pen and paper. We had this thing called pen pals, okay? And you would write with pen and paper. And you fold it and stick it in this thing and lick it and stick it. And then there was like a square-shaped sticker you put on the corner. I don't know. It got it to another place. So it took like three days to get someone a message, literally. Um, they called it hieroglyphic. They, um, so three days went by, and I was just like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Like, that's so awkward. Everyone thinks I'm so weird. But on the third day, I started going to my mailbox, and I was getting letters and letters from other kids, teens, at this camp with lives like mine, families like mine, stories like mine, telling me, thank you, Nicole, for your courage. I thought I was alone. I was also abused. All these other survivors of abuse started coming out and sharing their stories simply because I had. You know, for years I thought I was alone, that I was the only one who had ever gone through this. And here I was seeing that that wasn't even true. And that same week when I was angry with God, I opened my Bible and I came across a verse that totally changed my life. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the same comfort we have received from God. Man, I knew that verse was true. I felt like God was meeting me 
in my hiding place. And he was telling me, you know, he was going to walk me through all this. I felt like my pain put me into hiding, but purpose called me out. I came to realize that, you know, he was angry when I was angry. Sometimes I pictured him just crying over what had been done to me, and I realize now that in the midst of all of our shameful struggles, you know, God says that we can be an answer to something in the world. We can be a solution if we give him our pain, you know. The ugliest things in our lives, the most shameful things in our lives can become something beautiful if we'll let God do something with it. So I was 15 years old, and I felt like, man, God wants to use me. But I felt like, at the same time, this world's so messed up. Like, how in the world can I even put a dent in some of these problems, especially like sexual abuse or, or human trafficking and things like that. And um, I felt like probably how many of you guys feel, honestly, like, like a mosquito in a nudist colony. You know? There's so much work to do, you don't know where to start. You know? <laughs> hey, thanks. I'm working on that one. Um, but I learned that we all can do one thing you know we might not be able to do everything but we all can do one thing and so I started just praying dangerous prayers prayers that you know God could use me not only for those who've been sexually abused but those who've been enslaved and just over the course of time in my life just being used as a voice, and God would open doors for me to be able to help another person, whether it be a crowd, whether it be one person, or whether it be a trafficking survivor who would be riding back and forth with me. It's just been an amazing um, experience. And also, I would love for those of you who are interested in the anti-trafficking work that I've been doing, I'm going to share some stories about Cambodia and all of that um, at the lunch, so I hope you all can come to that. But although many of you, I know, have not been victims of sexual abuse, I do know that I'm not alone in this room. And those of you who may walk in my shoes, I do ask you to join the movement right now, to break the silence on your story, to tell someone that you trust. It doesn't have to be in a huge forum. Tell someone that you trust. I know how freeing that can be to be able to just talk to somebody about it and to break the silence for yourself. You are not alone. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused by the age of 18. Every two minutes, someone in America is sexually assaulted. One out of ten rape survivors are men. One in five college women are victims of rape or attempted rape in their freshman year of college. 84% are committed by someone the victim knows. 90% of sexual assaults in college involve alcohol or some other drug. I don't care what you said, what you did, what you wore, what you drank, how much you drank, where you went, why you went there, who you were with, if you knew them before today, if you were sexually assaulted, it is not your fault. It's never a victim's fault. No one asks for rape. No one deserves it. So don't believe that sexual abuse or rape happens in some other town, some other campus, some other community, some other family, some other home, because I promise you, it happens everywhere. And if we don't give people the space to struggle, the space to tell their secrets, if we don't confront sexual harassment or speak up for one another, you know, help one another find their voice, these things are never going to change. It has to start with each of you and me. And healing can begin now. 
you know, by breaking the silence. This is a safe place. You know, your administration brought me here because they care about these issues, right? And they want you guys to be able to have this time to heal before you move on to the next step in your life. Some of you have never had to face anything I've mentioned today. But chances are you have a friend who has. So I just encourage you to be that safe place for them. You know, be that open ear. And be the one who will stand up to those who are committing these acts. One of my favorite stories in the Bible um, was Jesus when he had just finished um, his preaching tour in Galilee. He returns back to his home base, okay? News spreads that he's come to this town, so he's in this house, and everyone's there. Everyone's trying to get in. The room's so packed, you can't even open the door. But in Mark 2, it says that while Jesus was preaching God's word to the people that were gathered there, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring their friend to Jesus through the door because of the crowd. So what do they do? They crawl up on the roof, and they make a hole through the roof of the house, and then they lower their paralyzed, their sick, their abused friend down to the feet of Jesus. Their love for their suffering friend inspires me so much, and it thinks about all the people along my path, my healing journey, that have helped point me to Jesus when I couldn't get there myself because of a variety of reasons. You know, he couldn't get to Jesus. A suffering man couldn't get to Jesus by himself because he was paralyzed, you know. He needed his friends to carry him. They had to be creative, they had to be persistent, they had to be assertive, but they got him there. And in the same way, I think you guys can be that friend to somebody else. You know, you can be part of the answer. You can bring hurting people to Jesus for healing. So no matter what your past looks like, you know, no matter the secrets or the circumstances in your lives, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, I want you to know you are not alone, and God can use all of it. He will meet you right where you're at, and he will use all of it and turn it, the most ugliest, messiest brokenness, into something beautiful. He brings purpose from pain. Um, I want to end by reading a few words from my book, Hush. And um, so as I'm reading that, the band can probably come up. If no one sheds light on what's being done in the darkness, it will never stop. And survivors will never know the truth that can set them free from the lies that keep them in bondage. Every time we bring abuse into the light, we help prevent more abuse while we help its victims heal. Victims need their own voice to break free from their silent pain. But they also need your voice. They need my voice. Together, our voices become one voice, one that rings loud and clear, speaking words of love and truth, of validation, acceptance, comfort. Our voice will penetrate the darkness and expose sexual abuse for exactly what it is. Our voice, our voice will lead wounded hearts to a safe, open place of healing. And as we speak out, our voice will reduce the risk of abuse for the next child and the next child and maybe your child. So I'm not here asking for your sympathy. <laughs> I'm asking for your strength. Thank you for being great listeners this morning. And... Um, Let's just pray. Lord God, uh, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather here and just to hear stories. I pray you would be with those who are wrestling things in their own hearts and 
Give them courage, Lord. Give those who need your courage to share a secret. Give grace and compassion to those who will respond as your hands and feet. And those who need to pray some dangerous prayers, God, because you've got some heavy callings on their lives. You know, people who are here to come out of their pain and into purpose. Lord, I pray that you would help them to take those big, hard steps. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your comfort, and just allow us to comfort each other today. In Jesus.